You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. We're going to be uh, talking in Luke, and it strikes me sometimes that in when we're teaching, it seems like that a lot of the things kind of come back to kind of a the same kind of story. And as I studied this week, I thought to myself, you know, I wonder if you're sitting in the audience and, you know, you start to listen to some of the things we say, well, yeah, I already know that or I've heard that before. But then I'm reminded the thing that uh, a lot of the teachers in this room know, that repetition is a great teacher. The other thing that, that dawned on me was it isn't just about repetition, but the things we're going to talk about today, the things we're going to talk about today, they are things that are critically important. I'm not talking about making your utility bill. I'm not talking about if you've got a raise at work, but I'm talking about things that will be critically important to your eternal life. That's the kind of stuff we're going to talk about today. Last week, Justin talked to us, and he, uh, he talked about the fact that in Luke, there's just tons of teaching that takes place. And Jesus, not only is he teaching a lot of good moral stuff that's part of the message, but he's also talking to us about kingdom teaching. He's talking to us about this life, but he's also talking to us about the preparation and what that next life will be. But see, the underlying message when you start going through Luke, and and you see this up here, it says Luke, it says God's plan for salvation. The underlying message in Luke really has to do with repentance kind of go, okay, well, why don't they just put that like in a first line and save all that other writing? But Luke is just full of great stuff as we walk through this. And like I say, the cover slide talks about in the book of Luke, it's really kind of when you're looking for a, a kind of a thesis sentence, it is that. It is God's plan for salvation. Some time ago I gave a sermon. It was called, it's called the a Church Without Class. That sounds kind of funny if you think, yeah, I I'd like to have some class from a church, but the church without class was one that that uh, that I gave that just kind of is one of those that stuck in my mind. And I was reminded that when I drove past a pasture on the way to the lake sometime back, I went by by a pasture, and there were, in this pasture there were cattle, there were horses, and there were donkeys, all three things in this same pasture. And the thing that struck me, I even stopped and pulled over to the side and looked for a minute, and I even looked and I said, wow, this is weird. Because I said, all the cattle, they're over here bunched up together. All the donkeys, they're over here bunched up together. And then all the horses are together. I thought, that's really weird. Then I thought, you know, that's kind of the way churches tend to do. We tend to, to, to go to church and, and we think, okay, well, do the people at that church, do they look like me? You know, that's one of the things that comes to our mind. Do those people look like me? Our churches tend to get grouped by socioeconomic status. They get, to, they get grouped oftentimes by race. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, well, the underlying theme of Freedom Fellowship, it should be different than that. And that was a part of what that sermon was about. Because if you think about it, the people that come, whether you have much in your life, if you've been granted much, it's a way of resources, or perhaps little, it's a meager living you make, you barely get by. We should be comfortable to come and worship 
together. You know, we should be comfortable whether we come here and we have children or we don't have children, whether we're married or we're single, or regardless of our skin color. And so when I go back and I think about that past year thing, I think, well, you know, the reality is that's, that's the quote-unquote natural way things happen, but that isn't God's way. That's not his plan. His plan is we come together, and we come together to study the truth of God's word, and we do it as a family. Now, I'll admit, this is not a new concept that I'm sharing with you here, okay? That wasn't a new concept at all. The reality is that, that what is pointed out in Luke, we'll study some about today, and as Jesus points out, because these are really the red-letter words, this is Jesus' teaching we're talking about today. But what he points out is that it's the value of the person, it's not the value of the bank account. And if you'll think about it, you can go through your mind and you'll say, well, I know some churches and really, yeah, I don't know who goes there. It's all the people with a lot. That's where all the millionaires go. Or perhaps it's a different kind of church. But regardless, it seems like that what we're being taught is it's really the value of the person. It's not the value of the bank account that God's interested in and our churches should be interested in. So we're going to fire it up. We're in Luke 16. Verse 19, that's where you're going to find me if you're on U version, which on your app it'll actually say Holy Bible. It doesn't say U version on the app, it says Holy Bible. And you can go and punch more down in the bottom right hand side. It'll bring up the screen, go up here and punch events, and you'll find Freedom Fellowship on there, and you'll be able to follow along with much of what we have to say today. Verse 19, chapter 16. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple. Now, purple, understand, was the color of kings. It was the important people. We might say back in some of my time, they were the high rollers that wore the purple garments. But they were, they, they were the rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every day. At the gate there lay, laid a beggar named Lazarus. Now, that's probably a... A, a familiar name to you. Most of you, if you've been in church a little while, you've heard about Lazarus. I'm going to give you a little factoid, okay? Here's a little factoid about Lazarus. If you go through all the parables, and there's a bunch of them, you'll find that in all the parables, this is the only parable where this person is literally mentioned by name. All the other parables are labels. They're the widow, the beggar, the father, the son, the prodigal, the Pharisee, whatever those things are, but they're all, they're all different than that. But in this situation, for whatever reason, we'll talk about that, but in this situation, Jesus decided he was going to use Lazarus and mention him specifically by name. Now, most of us realize that Lazarus, and I kind of think it is, I think this Lazarus is the same one that was the Lazarus that was raised from the dead. And likely he was not a poor man. He was probably not a beggar based on what we know in other scripture. But Jesus decided to use him in this particular circumstance, I believe. So at the gate laid a beggar named Lazarus, and he was covered with sores. Some of this I kind of go, yeah, I really need to know that? And, you know, and then you find out about the dogs licking his sores, and then you really think, do I really need to know that? But, he, but he's painting this picture, and he's, he's, it said that he was longing to eat from the rich man's table, the one we just talked about that was in purple. They said, even the dogs came and licked his sores. 
guy was in a bad way. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried along with his U-Haul truck and all of his possessions. Now, there were two guys talking one day and they had an acquaintance who had passed away and they saw the hearse go by and he, they were headed to the cemetery and one of the guys just kind of said, my goodness, you know, he, he had a lot. I wonder what he left. I mean, I wonder what he left. And the other guy very, again, very appropriately said, well, he left it all. And that's a situation we find here that, that he, he was also buried and he died. Nothing about the U-Haul truck. And then it goes on in verse 23. It says in Hades, and that's a place that's a for departed souls. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. We, we tend to, in our mind, we tend to think Hades is hell, but there's really a separation made in, in teaching. But it is still a place for departed souls. It's a place for the dead, as the Hebrews felt. In Hades, where, there, there was, where, where he was in torment, talking about the rich man, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away, and Lazarus by his side. Now your scripture, or what you're used to, or what you heard the teaser song at the front, it said, it talks about, rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. So in, in your scripture, if you're reading King James or something like that, it may in fact speak to and say that he was in the bosom, of, that Lazarus was in the bosom of Abraham. Now interestingly, as, as even before the service and, and all that, there was a little survey taken and some of the people had a lot of different ideas of what the bosom of Abraham was. But what I'll tell you, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, is it, it's a picture of intimacy that, that, that was obvious when you looked across and you saw, when he looked across and he saw Abraham and he saw Lazarus. It was a picture of intimacy between those two people. I remember as a child, I had earache after earache, and you know we we didn't, you know they hadn't figured out the ear tubes thing and all that stuff in my in my day, but boy we had earache after earache, and one of the faint memories I had as a six seven eight year old was I remember spending a lot of nights on the rocking chair, and my mother would put her put my hurting ear up to her chest, and that warmth would would make and soothe my ear. Well, it soothed me partly because of the warmth, and it soothed me partly because what it did is it helped to calm me down. But, you know, she would hold me just as close as she could in order to do that. But it's that picture of intimacy, and I would suggest to you that probably there are many of you mothers that when you've, ha you've held a, a child that's not feeling well and you've held them close to you, that you understand clearly what that would be like. See, the rich man could obviously see that there was a closeness between Abraham and the beggar. Much different than the circumstance he was in because Scripture's already told us that, that he was in torment. Now, he's in the place of the dead, but trust me, he's already in torment. Scripture tells us that. So he calls out to the, he calls out, this is a rich man, you, Abraham, Abraham. He wants his attention. He said, have pity on me and send Lazarus. Well, it sounds like, interestingly, that this same beggar that laid outside of his day, gate 
He knew who he was. He, in fact, probably stepped over him every day as he came and went when, when Lazarus at the gate. So he knew who he was. So he's yelling across. He said, would you send Lazarus? Because he said, I, I can see him on your lap. I can see him as you hug him. I can see him as he's pressed close to you in this intimacy and this love that's there. But he said, would you just send him to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in the fire? It's interesting, I think, and probably some of you can think of circumstances like this, but it's interesting that the rich man needed help now from the very person that he refused to give help to that was laying at his gate. Funny how that works, isn't it? How many times can you think about situations in your life, perhaps, that you can relate to that, that, that people needed help, but you think, yeah, they treated me terribly. They were rude to me. They were disrespectful to me. But now when they need something, guess what? My phone rings. They show up. They want help from me. And that's exactly what was happening in this situation. In verse 25, but Abraham replied, he said, Son, talking to the rich man, remember that in your lifetime you received good things. Well, Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us, you have this great chasm. And you actually, thank you, John, I saw that you talked about that chasm up here in your song this morning. But there was this great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there back to us. He answered, well, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. He's saying, he said, okay, if you won't do that, at least let me, let me do something good here. Let me create some kind of a warning. And he answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this terrible place of torment. And Abraham replied, well, rich man, they have Moses and the prophets. They've had knowledge. They've had understanding already of what this is. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And then he comes back and he says, No, Father Abraham. And what he's really saying, he's really in his begging mode. No, no, he said, he said, I, I need you to understand this. He said, if someone from the dead will go to them, if somebody from the dead will go to them, then they'll repent. You know, they'll get it. He says to him in 31, he says, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now, interestingly, now we see him talking about even if someone rises from the dead. Now, let's go back and think, well, well, who's this other character besides the rich man? Well, he called him Lazarus. And you may remember the story, but let me just tell you really, really quickly. Well, see, Lazarus was the brother of Martha and Mary. All very, the Martha and Mary, very close to Jesus all through his ministry. And Lazarus was their brother. So they get word, Jesus, he's... he's 
a distance, not a long way, but a distance, and they get word that Lazarus is really, really sick. And in fact, that then that he died. And you know, of course, they're saying, if, why don't you come here and resurrect him, do something with him, you know, it's, it's our brother, our brother we love. And so Jesus waits for four days. There's some, there's some value in studying that if you're inclined to do it because the, some of the Hebrews thought that your spirit hung around about three days, but at the end of three days it vanished and everything, you know, spirit-wise and everything was over. But in this circumstance, Lazarus, he waits till the fourth day. I mean, this guy is dead, dead. And, you know, he shows up. Lazarus is in the tomb. Mary and Martha and all the, all the people, a lot of the people that he ran around with, they're all, you know, in their minds, they're thinking, oh, gosh, and they're grieving. And then Jesus comes there. And so, you know, you, you remember the line. They, he has some people roll the, the, the stone to, from the entry away, similar to what, you know, happens with him. And then he's, and he, he uses that great line, and I like kind of, I don't know what really sounded like, but I like the King James Version of it. Lazarus, come forth. But, but when, he, when he does that, I, I love the other line that's in there because they say, And so he's talking about this. He said that even if they saw somebody rise from the dead, and oh, by the way, there's Lazarus, even if they saw somebody rise from the dead, it still wouldn't convince them. Understand also at this same time, you had Sadducees, and the Sadducees believed there was no possible resurrection. That was kind of part of their belief system. But see, we get into the fact that when we finish reading these verses for today, then we're down to the conversation he's had with them. These five brothers that he's talking about, they had free will. But you know, when we start talking about this free will stuff, that is hard teaching. That's hard teaching. You know, people want to talk about predestination and all that stuff. I just kind of get mentally lost and all that because the reality is Scripture tells us that we have free will. But that's hard stuff. Because, see, we're given free will to make a choice. We have a choice to choose Jesus and the gospel, the good news. But then we also have the choice to deny that. So you ask yourself, you say, well, you're saying, Thomas, gospel and the good news, I have a choice to deny that. So let me tell you that some of the things that you have to deny when you're making the choice to deny Jesus, when you're denying the truth of the gospel. Well, Jesus is the Son of God. And so when you deny that, you're saying, I don't believe that. He was born of a virgin and fathered by the most holy God. He died on a cross for the sins of you and I to make us clean through his blood being shed for us. He said it again. He died on the cross for you and I's sins 
and he shed his blood for us to do that. And then he was raised on the third day. And then over the next 40 days, just being resurrected wasn't enough. Over the next 40 days, he appeared to many, many people. And he even, they even had people that touched him. They saw him come through walls. I mean, I mean, a lot of stuff in this next 40 days that happened. And then after that happened, and he was raised from the dead, and after those 40 days, and he, he, he was taken into the heavens to sit at the right hand of God. And then scripture tells us that if you don't want that, if you don't accept it through this free will stuff, because what you have to do if you want to accept it is you, all that's necessary is you believe in your heart, that story we just talked about. You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's, that's, that's the qualifier. That's what happens. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to, to do that and then we're supposed to surrender our life and then we're supposed to surrender our will. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? We're supposed to surrender our will. See, that's the good news of the gospel, those things. But if we have, good, if we have our own will, then we have a choice, and we can deny all those things of the gospel. Or perhaps the choice when it comes down to making our, our own self-will choice, maybe it is the fact that we think that I can ride in on the skirt tails or the shirt tails of other people. I'd, I'd hate to guess how many times in my life, and I'm not like a, I'm not a street preacher, but I try to at least be open to conversations and use the ones that develop and try to talk about those things. But I don't know how many times I've had people say, well, you know, my grandfather was a preacher. Good. Glad he was. Or... My grandmother, she was a wonderful Christian lady. I never heard my mother say a bad word. And you hear all those things, kind of those, those conversations, but the reality is when it comes to our particular circumstance, none of those things. We can't ride somebody else's skirt tail or shirt tail in to salvation. We can't be saved by proxy. Remember that. You can't be saved by proxy. Somebody else doesn't save you. That's a, that's a decision that you have to make yourself. Or I like this one, and I think it's particularly appropriate. It's, it's the fact that, well, you know, I'm just probably not going to make that commitment now because I've really got plenty of time. I've got plenty of time to make that choice. You know, because that's pretty serious stuff. Think about the stuff I'll have to sacrifice. Think about the stuff I'll have to give up. I can't do that. And, I, and the people, places, and things I used to do stuff with, now all of a sudden my life has to be different. And i got plenty of time to do that. Well, let me answer that to you by uh, reading you a little bit from Luke 12 that we covered a few weeks ago, verse 16. Yep, you got it up there. This is what it says. Then Jesus told them a story. He said, a rich man, a label, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for more crops. If I raise them, where would I store them? Man, I'm, I'm doing good. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and all my other goods and I'll just sit back then and I'll just say to myself, Self, 
you have enough stored away to last you for years. Now take it easy. Easy. Just take it easy. Eat and drink and be merry. But God said to that man, he said, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything that you work for? And that pretty well says it because sometimes what we do is we talk about the people and that I have plenty of time. And a lot of times we do that, don't we? We kind of just, we cruise through, we enjoy the things, we kind of know that I probably ought to be living differently than I'm living out here, but, you know, I'm kind of enjoying doing what I'm doing. I'm enjoying eating and drinking and being merry, as the scripture says. Jesus, in the in our principal verses today, you know, he, he told the, rich man that same thing he said you know they had Moses and the prophets and they still weren't convinced and guess what we've got God's Word you know most of us have it in our home it's in motels it's in hotels thanks to Kathy and them a lot of them are in doctors offices and dentist offices and stuff now that they do uh, you know through the Gideon Association but see we have that but but even having the Word of God in front of us too often it just doesn't ring true to so many of us. The Bible's often seen as, well, you know, it's good moral teaching. I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in there. It's good good moral teaching. But, you know, it isn't really applicable to a lot of stuff today. You know, the, things change, and the world's not like it used to be. And, and you know, I, I support most of the Bible, but frankly, it's a little out of step with how society is and the things we believe. Young people hear that. Young people hear that. The Bible is not out of step with making good choices for your life. And as much as people want to tell you that the Bible's out of step, that things have changed, we don't, that's not something that we believe. Well, that was a good moral story. Trust me, that is not true. The Bible is the truth. I've known people in, in life that were believers, and they were very generous people. And they even had good, you know, they, they led good moral lives. And, it, and they, they really claimed to be believers. I've known many who led good moral lives and very generous people who absolutely were not believers. But see, our calling is this. Our calling is deeper than being just generous. Because our calling is to be love-based, to be love-based. We're to have love for a Savior. We're to have love for a fellow man. And we should have this desire that all men would come to know Christ. And, you know, we saw that picture painted in the parable today. And you can kind of see, because it says, you know, that, that here's this guy. Man, he's in, bad, he's in a bad spot. And he can see way in the distance, he can see Abraham and Lazarus, and he realizes that, man, that's what I could have had. But instead of that, I've got this. I've got this torment. I've got these circumstances that I have to deal with. I was listening to the radio this week, and it made an interesting statement. And, and uh, the guy was talking about heaven. He said, in his travels as a missionary, he said, Almost any place else in the world where you run into Christians, they have a question is, 
about heaven. How soon can I go? How soon can I go? And he said, you know, it's so much different because here in the United States, I'm guilty. Here in the United States, it is this. It's, well, I don't want to go yet. I got some of this other stuff I want to do. I still want to enjoy some of my life. I want to see this happen and that happen. But we don't see heaven with the immediacy of people that are really distressed. Many of us uh, don't express much immediacy at all, frankly, when it comes to accepting the Lord, nor did that rich man. You know, he, I think he was cruising along pretty good. So was the guy that had the barns, you know. And then all of a sudden the curtain fell on his life. And most of us, frankly, if we think about it, we know of some people lately in our life or in our associations that the curtain fell on quickly. They didn't see it coming, but the curtain fell quickly. But many of us don't express great immediacy in accepting or serving the Lord. I'd ask you this morning to consider what your present position is. Do you, is your, do you really live your life passionately for Christ? I mean, that's what we're supposed to do, right? We've, we've been given this great gift. Do you really live your life passionate about the Savior? Because the reality is we have no guarantee for tomorrow. There is no guarantee for tomorrow. That's, that's what Jesus said in that parable. He said, you fool, your soul will be required of you tonight. And oftentimes we don't get a FedEx and say, hey, you can start planning because when you, when you get out to this date, that'll be your curtain time. But we have no guarantee of tomorrow. However, we do have free will. You know, we can accept Christ as our personal Savior. We can decide that I'm going to live for him. But because what we don't want to do in the song that you saw and also in the scripture, we don't want to get caught with this chasm in between us and there's no way to get from here to there. The reality is, is when the clock runs out, there are no more do-overs. We don't get to say, well, I, I didn't really mean it, okay? I was going to fess up and I was going to... I was going to make a statement of faith and I was going to get on board and I was going to start treating my neighbor better and all the stuff, you know, that you could just go through this laundry list of things. But it's important, I think, that we don't take this gift of salvation just like we talked about God's plan for salvation, that we don't take it for granted. I don't know about you, but if I had the choice... I would much rather be in the bosom of Abraham or the lap of the Lord than I would be in the place that the rich man went to. So let's pray. Father, I just uh, I ask you this morning that we, that we consider these things. Lord, uh, you know, we may feel like that I, we've heard these stories before and we've heard preachers talk about this, but the reality, Father, if there are people here this morning and maybe they're like half on board. Or maybe this, they're thinking about making that decision, Father. I just pray that, that, that they would make that choice. But scripture tells us that what's, what's it, what do we need to do? Well, what we need to do is we need to believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he died, that he was resurrected and went to live with the Father. We need to, we need to believe those things in our heart. And then we need to confess them before you. you know, scripture also tells us, Lord, that, 
that it was said that if you fail to confess me before men, I will fail to confess you before my Father. And so I ask, Lord, that that whether it's me or one of the elders or somebody else here in this in this auditorium, if if there's somebody who who isn't right with the Lord, if they haven't made that choice, or they just need to figure out how to get on the get on the train and and live a life and 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 get out of all this self-will business, Father, that this would be a great day to start that, Father. I'll be down front as they play, and, and Lord, if there's anybody that's in that situation, I just pray that you'd quicken their hearts. And again, Lord, we're so thankful that you loved us enough that you would sacrifice your only son for us. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tonti Town, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.